You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 10. Last time I taught this class, we talked about the liberty that we have in Christ. And we started in Galatians 5.5, where where it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has made us filled again with the yoke of bondage. And we discussed the fact that the liberty we have in Christ isn't a cheap liberty because it was purchased for us in Christ. It's a lasting liberty and a complete liberty. So when we strike out our, on our own and try to put our own human interpretations and limitations on the liberty that we, uh, that we run into trouble, it was the case with the Galatian church where they were saying you had to be circumcised to be a Christian. Liberty is a full surrender to the Spirit. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago when I taught last, um, I've been strongly challenged by this lesson. I had a lot of trouble discerning what the Lord wanted me to teach on. And I kept praying, and the only thing that I kept getting was just this word of surrender. I prayed for more direction than that and didn't get anything more, so I just decided I better start studying what, what is it, you know, what does the Bible have to say about surrender? And what, it, what does that mean in the life of us as believers? I think that all of us understand that we have a need to surrender. And I could probably ask for a show of hands from everybody here, asking who, who thinks they should be more surrendered in their life, and probably every one of you would raise your hands. But we all have, it seems like we all have this head knowledge of what it means to surrender to the Holy Spirit. So I really want to try and focus on what does it mean inside of us so how can we get to that point, and what does it look like in our lives? If you're there in Jeremiah, and I just want to say one other thing too, that I'm standing up here not because I have it all figured out. Obviously, the Lord is working in, the, uh, uh, in my life in this area, and the only thing that I'm standing on today is the Word of God, because I, I don't have this down, but I know what God's teaching me. So um, Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you today, and Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given me to stand before your people and to share what you're teaching me in my own life. Lord, I pray that you will Help me to speak clearly, Lord. It's uh, I just I need your help in this, Lord, and I just pray that you will move me out of the way and allow your Spirit to work through me and to speak, and so that what is said today, Lord, is a is a blessing to those who hear it, a challenge as it has been to me. Lord, I just ask you to be with us in this hour, and that you would bind and rebuke Satan and any of his influences that would be here to just to distract from what's going on here, Lord. I just thank you and I praise you for all you are. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So it's in this, this verse that I read, it's interesting to look at the context of what he's, 
what he's saying here. If we go back a couple of verses, back to verse 19, he says, Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is grievous, but I said, Truly this is a grief, and I, and I must bear it. My tabernacle is spoiled, and all my cords are broken. My children are gone forth of me, and they are not. There is none to stretch forth my tent anymore and to set up my curtains. For the pastors are become brutish and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. Behold, the noise of the brute is come, and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate and a den of dragons. And then he, said, then he has this statement, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So here we see that Jeremiah is completely grieved by this, this, this almost total desertion by his family, by those who helped him. He's also grieved by the state of the tabernacle, not necessarily the physical state, but the spiritual state. The pastors have become brutish. If you look that up, it's insensible or stupid, much like the current state of, of much of the church in the United States today. Jeremiah continues a list of things that grieve him with reports of warriors. That's what that word brute means. It's just a report or a rumor of warriors that are coming from the north to make Judah desolate. And then Jeremiah throws himself on the Lord. He says of himself, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Despite all of the grievous things that are surrounding him, the loss of family and friends, through his preaching of the truth, the imminent destruction of the country that he loves, he's going to continue following the direction of the Lord. This is a true picture of surrender. He is not in control of his steps. Instead, the one who called him is in control of each step that he takes. Once we have fully surrendered to the Spirit, the storms and trials that rage around us will not move us from our, from our steadfastness to our surrendered state. So I wanted to start here because this is a, a very good picture of what surrender looks like. Jeremiah was being buffeted on all sides. He was deserted, yet he was steadfast in his purpose. Now if you would please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. This is the go-to verse for any lesson on surrender. Paul's admonition here to the Roman church is held up kind of as that ultimate instruction of what it looks like to surrender to Christ. In Romans chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what I want to look at here is how surrender and holiness are tied together. Look at the contrast between verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 speaks of the sacrifice, the holiness that's required to be acceptable unto God. Understand, that doesn't mean that there's something we can do to make ourselves acceptable. That's in the finished work of Christ. But there's that holiness, that living out our life according to God. But verse 2 contrasts that holiness with conformity to the world that we must constantly guard against. We cannot fully surrender to a holy God if our hearts are full of and controlled by worldly lusts. 
So we need to stop with the excuses that we give to ourselves and to others. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. How many times have you heard that? That's, that's thrown around as an excuse to sin and to say, well, I'm going to just rely on the grace of God. But the Bible also says that we have been made a new creature. If you please turn to Colossians chapter 3. If we've been made a new creature, then the sin that we once used to wallow in should be repulsive to us. I'm going to start in verse 10. And have put on the new man, which is renewed. And that word renew, if you look it up, is to renovate, to restore to a former state, to a good state after decay or deprivation, to rebuild or to repair. And we have put on that new man, uh, we have put on the new man, which is renewed, in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The word for renewing that we just read in Romans 12.2 is derived from the same word is renewed here. They're very closely connected. This is the connection. Renewing of your mind from Romans 12 and then which, the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of God. Those two are very closely connected. The renewing of our mind, we know how that comes through the study of God's word. If you think about it this way, we have been recreated. The doctrinal term is regeneration, which means two definitions that Webster's give. Reproduction, or the act of producing anew. And then Webster's says, in theology, new birth by the grace of God, that, ch that change by which the will and natural enmity of man to God and his law are subdued, and a principle of supreme love to God and his law or holy affections are implanted in the heart. And, he uses the, and Webster even uses the example, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit from Titus 3. The prophet Ezekiel talks about this process in two different places. Ezekiel was a prophet calling out for the repentance of his people. The Lord speaks through him and tells the results of repentance what happens after of repentance and their resulting salvation. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 20, he says, this is after if the children of Israel would repent. He said, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the story, I'm sorry, the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And then again in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh." And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. In both of these cases, the Lord speaks about taking that stony heart and replacing it with a heart of flesh. The old, cold, dead heart of stone, the heart that wasn't bothered at all by sin, the heart that couldn't pump one ounce of spiritual blood, that heart has been replaced by a heart of flesh, a heart that's warm, it's tender to the promptings of our conscience, tender to the leadings of the Holy Spirit, a heart that is pumping spiritual life through our entire being. That's the miracle of regeneration. That's what happens at the moment of our salvation. 
It would be one thing to just merely create a heart of flesh for God to do that. But to take that cold, dead heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, that takes a miracle of immense proportions. That's what happens at the moment we're saved. So going back to Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new man which is renewed. We said renewed is renovate, restore to a former state, repair, to rebuild. Have, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We see that the new man we have put on is renewed in knowledge, knowledge of God and his word after the image of him that created him. Who created the new man? God himself through the process of regeneration. After the image or likeness of, we know that the new man is supposed to be working to conform himself to the image of Christ. And then how does he do that? What is it that helps conform to the image of Christ that makes us after the image of him? Renewed in knowledge. So learning and relearning of who God is, by studying his word, we renew ourselves in the knowledge of him. And have put on the, renew, have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Do you see this? There's no excuse. I'm just human. We all make mistakes. All of those excuses fall far short of the image of him who created the new man in us all. There are other verses, and I'm just going to just give a couple just, just to give context and, and, and just to see that this is a constant theme. 2 Corinthians 15, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And in Galatians 6.15, for, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. You see that? In both verses, a new creature. The old things, the old sin, the old attitudes, the old desires, the old actions, those old fetters of sin that kept us in the filthy mire, they're all gone. Passed away, dead. Behold, look at it. All things are become new. We have a new desire to please God, new actions of serving him, new attitudes that glorify him, and the sin we once loved now repulses us. It's nothing we did, nothing we could do that avails anything. Just simply, we are a new creature through the grace of an amazing and merciful God. So now I'm going to go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to present ourselves our bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, holy because we're regenerated by the blood of Christ. That's surrender, completely under control of the Spirit, that holy and acceptable sacrifice. But in order to do that, we're also to make sure that we're not conformed to this world. Listening to the world leads us to stray from the path of holiness and surrender. 
The Lord's really been working in my heart in this area. He's been showing me much that I personally need to improve. To guard against that, we have to guard against that draw of the world. We have to spend an enormous amount of time in the world. Every spare minute should be spent in the study of God's word. I look at my life and I think about how much time I waste. Mindless games, entertainment, with little or no redeeming value. No value for God's kingdom. What, what value does reaching level 800 and Candy Crush have in God's kingdom? What value does a football game have in God's kingdom? How about Call of Duty or Halo? Do those things have value in the kingdom of God? I could go on. What glory does your favorite hobby bring to God? It may. I'm not against hobbies. I'm not saying they're a bad thing. But we need to weigh everything in that balance. Is this bringing glory to God or not? We have to look at our lives and see what's there that should be there and should be nourished. Also what's there that we should take out and replace with things that are valuable for God's kingdom. By stripping our lives of these things that are not bringing glory to God, we can focus on what's truly important. And one of the most important things that we can do is studying his word. Back to verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of our mind happens through the intense study of God's word. And what happens as we study God's word? We learn more of the nature and the character of God. And the more that we know of him and of his attributes and of what it is that makes him who he is, the easier it becomes to surrender to him. I almost went back through and listed all the attributes of God again. I think I do that at least once every, time, every month that I teach. I didn't do that this time. They're important. And the more we learn about them, the more we understand who God is, it becomes much easier to surrender to him. Think about you know, a slave and the ma- we talk about a slave and a master situation. And if we put ourselves in that position of being a slave, completely surrendered, we have no will of our own, that's where we should be. But the awesome thing about that is that we're slaves to a perfect master. We're not slaves to a human master who, ha- who, has, a, who has an evil spirit. We're slaves to a perfect and holy God. Surrender, in its very definition, implies that it's complete. If you would please turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 20. I want us to look at an example here of what surrender means. Surrender, the word itself, is often used in the context of war. And that's the context that, that I'm going to examine with you now. This is... Um, an account of King Ahab when he's demanded, when he's being demanded to surrender to the king of Syria. We'll just read verses one through four. And Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad. Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, 
even the goodliest, are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. In this passage we see the king of Israel is completely and totally outnumbered, besieged and surrounded by war. He has no way to escape. So when the warring king Ben-Hadad sends him a message requiring surrender, we see that Ahab's response is one of complete and total surrender. My lord, O king, according to thy stain, I am thine and all that I have. He's holding nothing back. He has no choice in the matter here. He's fully surrendering to the conquering king. That's how we should be to God, our heavenly king, our lord. My lord, I am thine and all that I have. The huge difference here is, because, is that because we are surrendering ourselves to an infinitely good and merciful God, we have nothing to fear. Far different than the violent and evil earthly king that Ahab had to surrender to. Now just incidentally, Ahab had the choice to surrender to the God of heaven, but chose not to, and ended up being forced to surrender to the king of Syria. So our surrender should be complete, holding nothing back. My Lord, I am thine and all that I have. We see that the absolute of, absoluteness of surrender is all that I have is his. Are you willing to surrender yourselves absolutely into his hands? Are you really willing to surrender at all? Are you willing to surrender your mind? Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed. That word stayed means fixed or settled. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. The word, that stayed word also has this connotation of propped up against or leaning on, resting on, being held up by. So the Lord brings peace to those who fix their mind on him by trusting and leaning on him. We have peace because we have surrendered our minds to him. This means that we're bringing every thought under his control. All that I have is thine. Every thought under his control. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's where we should be with our mind. Every thought should be under the control of Christ under the control of his spirit. Are you willing to surrender your mind? Are you willing to surrender your body? This goes back to Romans 12. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Much preaching and, and focus is put on this verse to, with regards to living purely, living a life of purity. And that's good, and it needs to be preached that way. But today I want to focus on the living sacrifice Let's spending, of spending our physical energy on that which glorifies God. Instead of spending our lives working building up treasure on earth, where moth and rust corrupt, we should be working for that heavenly treasure. Matthew six nineteen to 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when I ask, this has been on my heart, where are you spending your energy? Are you spending a surrender to God and his purposes? Are you spending it on yourself and on earthly treasure? Are you willing to surrender your mind? Are you willing to surrender your body? Are you willing to surrender your will? 
Surrendering your will to God entails making sure that you have no will of your own to get in the way of his spirit's leading. For all intents and purposes, it would appear that you are exercising your will as you go through your day, but instead you're allowing the spirit to lead you. The difference between a surrendered person and one who is not becomes obvious when you look at the fruit of their lives. The spirit-led person who has surrendered their will to the spirit's leading will be full of the fruits of the spirit. We talked about this last time I taught. Will be full of the love and the joy and the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. So coming back full circle all the way to where we started in Jeremiah 10, 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. This is the picture of full surrender. The way of one who is fully surrendered is not in and of himself. One who is fully surrendered doesn't walk in his own way, directing his own steps. Instead, his mind, his body, and his will are all under the control of the Holy Spirit. Each step he takes is dictated by the Spirit's leading. He is ready and willing to do exactly what the Spirit wants at every moment. Where many people, myself, fall short is that they do allow the Spirit to lead in most areas of their life, but there are certain areas that are kind of off limits, certain areas that we haven't surrendered. As I said earlier, surrender itself implies that it is complete. So to be holding something back is not true surrender. So here's some examples that the Lord just put on my heart. Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, but don't ask me to witness to a stranger in the store. Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, but don't ask me to give that much. Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, but don't ask me to open my house to those people. Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, but don't ask me to forgive that person who's hurt me so badly. Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, don't ask me to go to the mission field. Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, but don't ask me to give up my entertainment. Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, but don't ask me to give up those electronic time wasters. Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, but don't ask me to give up that relationship I know I shouldn't be in. Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, but don't ask me to give up sleep in the morning so I can spend time with you. Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, but don't ask me to. I'll stop there. I'm sure you can fill in the blank with something personal in your own life. Many other things could be used to fill in the blank. Those things that we hold back, things in areas of our life that we just can't quite give up control over. Do you see the irony of saying that? Saying, Lord, I'll go wherever you lead me, but then putting conditions on it? If he truly is Lord and Master, there are no conditions. It's a complete and total surrender. Can you imagine in the story of Ahab and Ben-Hadad, if he said, My Lord, O King, according to thy saying, I'm thine and all that I have, well, except for this one herd of cattle, they're just too special. Ben-Hadad would have continued his siege and would likely have destroyed all of which, all of the things that Ahab was trying to hold back anyways, things he wasn't ready to surrender. So too, we need to be careful to surrender all. God also, not out of spite as, as would have been the case with Ben-Hadad and toward Ahab, but God also has a way of tearing down those idols, those walls that we put up to protect that unsurrendered area of our lives. 
He does it out of love to conform us to his image, which is his desire for us. So why, why do we hold anything back? This is surrender to a perfect God, perfect in all of his attributes, his love, his mercy, his omniscience, his faithfulness. He loves us infinitely. He's infinitely merciful. He knows all. He's infinitely faithful. Why are we holding back? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his, daily pres- in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel, feel, feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing fall on me. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Wherever you lead me, Lord, I'm willing to go because I trust and I love you. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.